When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 217, and we are recording on February 4th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot and my second head cold of 2020. What is this decade? I'm so annoyed. <laughs> I was doing so well, and then I got a really bad cold during the holidays, and apparently now it's just like every other week this is what's happening no. to me. Are you around, like kids no no it's really dumb i think it's just you know my guess is the weather flip-flopping back and forth my body doesn't like it Uh, yeah thanks climate change yeah exactly thanks climate change (laughs) (laughs) how are you i'm just uh, the caucus that's all Mm. you know and by the time the show comes out hopefully we'll have a winner i don't know what's happening nobody knows what's happening we're just all sitting here like Watching Mayor Pete, who I call the Elf Lord, because he looks like an Elf Lord <laughs> from Lord of the Rings, um, and Bernie both declare themselves winners online, and it's just... It's a lot. It's a soap opera. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about books. Okay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're new to the show, welcome. As I said at the top, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means y'all send in questions about what you should read next, what you should give to a friend or relative, or take traveling with you, maybe a book for your book club, any and all of those things. We will be happy to help you find your next great read. You can send in your questions either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's on our Book Riot site for the show notes for each episode. If you have a time-sensitive question and you're hoping to get the response back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, all caps is totally fine, in either the subject line of your email or the first line of the form plus the date that you're hoping to hear back by. That helps us not miss them. And we will do our best. If we're not going to get to it on the air, we might shoot you an email. So keep an eye out for those. All right, so we have some feedback. Both pieces of feedback are for Emmy, who was looking for uh, fantasy about London, not by straight white men. Uh, And Courtney recommends the Shades of Magic trilogy by V.E. Schwab. And Danielle recommends the Matthew Swift series by Kate Griffin, pen name of Catherine Webb. So book one is A Madness of Angels. Thank you both for those. And our first question, which I'm going to read, and then we'll do our first sponsor, uh, is from Nicole. It's very long, so I'm going to shorten it a (laughs) bit. Nicole is dealing with a divorce and is looking for two wrecks. The first one, a kick-ass female protagonist who lives from the land or in a world where a multitude of place-based knowledge and skills serve her well without enduring rape and all the other crap that tends to be tossed upon this kind of character in literature. And then recommendation two is for a 
another fabulous female protagonist who gets knocked off her feet by a jerk of a husband, uh, who then rises up like a phoenix from the devastating flames in fantastic style and overcomes many obstacles in her way. So before we get into those, let us talk about our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Amanda, Mm -hmm. you took the second part of this question. Yes, and there is an important piece of the second question um, where Nicole is asking for, like, bonus if she meets a goddess of a lover who nurtures her tender heart and soul because this protagonist is bi and is kind of over men in Nicole's question. (laughs) This is what she says. And so this led me to something that I almost never do on the show, which is to recommend to you a book that is not out yet. It's Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And it comes out soon, March 10th. So you can go ahead and pre-order it. But I think that this is exactly what you need to be reading right now. If you're unfamiliar with Glennon Doyle, she was, I don't know, like she was on Oprah's Soul Sunday thing and thing, Soul Sunday program, you know, that thing that Oprah does. Um, she wrote Love Warrior, which was picked as an Oprah's book club book. It was a huge success. She was a blogger before that, writing about the intersection of like parenting, marriage, and her faith. Um, When Love Warrior came out, it was supposed to be a memoir of her overcoming an eating disorder, alcoholism, uh, and then also like saving her marriage from her husband's several infidelities. Uh, And so then the book came out and behind the scenes, Glennon was actually leaving her husband when the book 
was released, which was like this huge, you know, secret that she was keeping and didn't know how people would respond to it because it was supposed to be a book about like, you know, saving your marriage. But in reality, she was leaving it after the book had already come out because she got new information about her husband continuing to cheat on her. And so in the middle of all of this, she met Abby Wambach at a, I think it was a award ceremony or something. It was like some kind of conference. She was speaking at a conference. Um, and Abby walked in and Glennon like fell in love with her at first sight. If you are unfamiliar, Abby Wambach is a like world famous soccer player who's what did hold the record for most scores uh, or most goals, but it was just broken by someone else whose name I don't remember. But anyway, so they met, fell in love and are married now and have, they've blended their families. And if you should, I highly recommend following both of them on Instagram. So this is, I think, exactly what you're looking for because Glennon left a really terrible situation. Her husband, they're friendly now and like they're co-parenting and everything seems fine, at least on social media. You never know what it's like behind, you know, closed doors. But everyone seems to get along. But he treated her very badly when they were married. And she has definitely risen from the ashes of that to be like Oprah's BFF and married to a superstar and a superstar in her own right. Um, And their marriage, her marriage to Abby looks just like loving and uh like political they they have like a mission together they seem so deeply in love with each other and she's just like thriving with her husband her ex-husband whose name no one remembers or cares about like doing whatever it is he's doing over in the corner so go read that pre-order it it's untamed by glennon doyle excellent I took the first part of the question, which was for women living off the land but not dealing with a ton of violence. And I'm stealing an Amanda recommendation here. (laughs) It is Two Old Women by Velma Wallace because I have been wanting to read this book since the first time Amanda recommended it. And I, yeah, I just, I feel like you also need this book. And it's been Amanda approved, so what could (laughs) go wrong? (laughs) Um, So Two Old Women is about, as you might guess, two old women who are abandoned in the wilderness by their tribe during a brutal famine winter. It is based on an Athabascan Indian legend in the upper Yukon. Um, and this author, Velma Wallace, is in fact part of that tribe. So, so it's an own voices book. And in the story, the women, you know, have been sort of sidelined because the tribe feels like they don't contribute. And so, you know, in hard times, like, sorry, bye, is is how they decide to go about this. <laughs> but these women not only survive, but thrive and make their own way in the woods. And it just sounds incredible. I can't wait to read this book. Also, the cover is beautiful, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize until I was looking it up. And Ursula Le Guin blurbed it. What? <laughs> so anyway, there's all kinds of good reasons to pick up this book. And both of us should get on that. So again, that is Two Old Women by Velma Wallace. And apparently it also has illustrations by James Grant if you're looking at the 10th anniversary edition. All right. Our next question is from Taylor, who is an insider. And we're fast-tracking this question as part of our epic level. Um, So to quickly tell you what I'm talking about, I'm sure all of you have heard us do um, ads for the Insiders program on the show, but in the Book Right Insiders is our paid community. And if you are an insider at the epic level and you want a question answered on the show sooner rather than later, then you will we'll fast track your questions. So if you are interested in that, you can go to insiders.bookride.com, sign up for the epic level, send us your all your questions, and we will answer them, you know, toot sweet, 
as they say. I don't know who they are. Me, as I say. Okay, so this question is from Taylor, who says, I'm a teacher at a rural school, and I'm trying to diversify my curriculum. I teach special education, and I co-teach in the general education as well at the high school level. I've been working on this goal for the last year or so, but I can always use some recommendations. Um, I usually read books aloud in my specifically sped classes, and they've enjoyed books like Boy 21 by Matthew Quick, The Westing Game, The Hunger Games, Love at First Sight, or Love and First Sight, excuse me, um, and The Grim Anthologies. Right now, I'm reading the Whale Talk by Chris Crutcher, my personal favorite, and my kids are enjoying that one as well. As you can tell, the reading level varies. Because I read the information aloud to my students, I can get away with some of the higher level books or stories because we spend so much time in discussion. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked War Cross by Marie Lu for you because it sounds like your kids really enjoy, uh, well, they're games because <laughs> there's a lot of books <laughs> and games in the title, but the Western game, you know, the Hunger Games. Um, also a little bit of romance. You named a lot of romances or romance or stories. Um, in this list of books that you sent over. And Warcross is a little bit of both. So it's about a girl named Amika, who, Amika Chen, who is a hacker living in a kind of a near future world where pretty much everyone participates in this game called Warcross, which is like an alternate reality game. Game. It's a game. Um, that everybody plays. It's like a way of life. The fan base spans around the globe. Every year there's an international competition championship where the winners win like a lot of money and emika is a bounty hunter meaning she gets paid to hunt down people who are cheating at the game or who are like illegally buying their way through the game or whatever and so she needs to make some quick cash because she's her bounty hunting jobs are not going well and she accidentally glitches herself into the warcross championships uh, which makes her instantly both famous and infamous across the globe. She panics. She's afraid she's going to be arrested, uh, which is not an unfounded fear. Instead, she is picked up and taken to the head, to the house, the home, excuse me, of Hideo Tanaka, who is a young billionaire who created Warcross. And what he wants her to do, since obviously she can glitch in and out of the game and she's a talented hacker, is to help him go inside the game to solve some security problems he's having. So she ends up going from like this really poor, um, struggling, teenage girl on her own to like working alongside the most wealthy human being on the planet doing something that she really loves doing also maybe she wants to kiss him on the mouth i don't know maybe not you be the judge or your kids could be the judge i'm pretty sure she wants to kiss him on the mouth i'm just saying so that's war cross by marie lou such a fun book <laughs> yeah i also noticed a fair amount of romance and then you know stories of kids working to overcome various obstacles. And so I picked Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett for you. Um, a couple of heads up for this book. There are hookup scenes in this book. I'm pretty sure that some of the ones you mentioned also have hookup scenes, but like, I would feel weird reading those out loud. So I don't know if this is still going to be appropriate. And um, also content warnings for STI stigma and confusion around sexuality. So this book, I I freaking love this book. This book was fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited that it, it is out in the world. It is about an HIV positive teenager who like really just wants to live her best school life. She's, you know, starting over to new school for bummer reasons. So she had to leave her old school. And she's got friends, and she's now the student director of the school's production of Rent, and she's a total theater nerd. She's so excited. And there's a guy that she's super into, and it seems like maybe he's into her. And also, she is HIV positive. She was born with HIV. Um, her birth mom was uh, HIV positive. And she has two dads who are really lovely and supportive, but she feels a little smothered because they're very protective for obvious reasons. 
And she is, you know, dealing with her disease in like very normal, safe ways. She is, you know, she's fine. But she has well-founded fears that if people find out that she's HIV positive, they're going to treat her very differently. Maybe they'll be afraid of her. Maybe nobody will want to kiss her. Like, will she ever have sex? These are all questions that she has that she's trying to deal with. And I love the balance in this book between dealing with her positive status and like then you know just the everydayness of being a teenager like your friends maybe you've had a fight they don't understand you but you still love them but what's happening and also you're trying to direct a student play and maybe you know the lead actor is kind of a jerk and won't take your notes and all of those kinds of things are you going to go to the dance like these are the questions that Simone has and then you know she gets a note in her locker that says, I know you have HIV and I'm going to out you unless you stop hanging out with the boy you like. And so now she has to decide what to do about that. And I it's it's like very full of very serious issues. But it also, like I said, balances it out so well. And it never, you know, like these characters go through difficult things, but it's not a book that's like full of trauma. Like it's they're real issues and hard things that the characters face. But it really is such a hopeful, optimistic beautiful, lovely book that's all about like finding your people and taking a stand for yourself. So again, that's Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett. And our next question is from Ashley, who says, I need some help finding good introductions on books about feminism, institutional racism, slavery, and honestly, any other social topics to help break through to some of my MAGA family members. I was a little overwhelmed when I walked into the bookstore. Hopefully you can help parse down titles to start with. Some shorter titles would probably be best and nonfiction titles would be great, too. Amanda, what did you pick? Listen. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one, y'all. I know. This is hard. Um, I have one and a half recommendations for you because I'm, I'm making an assumption with the second one um, about your family. But the first one that I've recommended is For the Love of Men by Liz Plank. I love this book so much. And I think that this is a great sneaky way to get a conversation about feminism going with someone who thinks or people who think that feminism is bad. Um, because For the Love of Men is about how the patriarchy is harmful to men. And uh, the subtitle is A New Vision for Mindful Masculinity. And I think that the knee-jerk reaction that a lot of conservatives have about feminism is that it's about like women hating men. But this book is about how a more equitable society would actually improve the lives of men in a lot of different ways. I picked this book up because, as all of you know, I'm raising two boys, and it's really difficult to know how to raise them in a way that doesn't like shove toxic masculinity down their throats. Um, and that's what this is about, like how the toxic masculinity that our society hoists upon boys and men makes their lives almost impossible and, you know, contributes so much to homelessness and depression and suicide and so many mental illnesses among men. Um, and this like plague of loneliness. Uh, one of the things that she talks about in the book that's really resonated with me uh, personally that like completely stands out is dating right now is like almost impossible for, for dudes um, because we give them no uh, we give boys no emotional tools for expressing themselves we also give them no emotional or no mental tools for doing like mental or emotional labor and women are at the point now and I've seen this among my friends and in my own personal experience where like we are unwilling to put up with any of that anymore so like women just 
aren't doing labor for dudes now and men don't know how to do it themselves. So they're just kind of floundering and lonely because they also don't know how to make friends because we didn't teach that them that either. So I think if you're trying to have a conversation with a conservative person about feminism, a great like sneaky way to do it is to talk about how it harms men because that is I mean, it's as it, it's as important. Of course, the conversation about feminism should center women and gender minorities. Of course, it should. But you know, men are half the population, and they are just as damaged by the patriarchy, um, even as they are reaping benefits from it. Um, so, I think that's a good way to start a conversation. My like point zero five other recommendation for you is um, "Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk" by Eugene Cho, which is not out yet. It comes out March first. I'm making the assumption here that your family is evangelical because i don't know any maga people who aren't evangelical so if my if i'm in, uh, my assumption here is wrong then you can disregard this but thou shalt not be a jerk the subtitle is a christian's guide to engaging politics and eugene cho is a really famous preacher in evangelical uh, circles and the thesis of the book is that aligning yourself with any political party because you think it represents Jesus or your faith is idiotic and not just idiotic, but is antithetical to your calling as a Christian person. Um, and so to have somebody in such a powerful position in the evangelical world be like, actually, you really need to reexamine how you treat the least of these and how you are aligning yourself with a party and not your church, um, I think is really powerful. Um, and might be a helpful way. Like he's not telling people to become Democrats. He's not telling Christians to become Democrats, which of course is a message that your family would probably not be receptive to. But he is asking them in language that they will understand if they speak Christianese to re-examine how harmful, you know, that kind of ideal, that kind of political theocracy is. Um, and it's coming from a voice that they've probably already heard heard from. So that's uh, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk by Eugene Cho. Nice. Yeah, this question is really hard because you know, it's there's like the statistics and like, here's all the facts ways to try to go about this. And then there's the more emotional ways to try to go about getting through to someone. And without knowing your family, it's hard to know what is going to work. And and then like which of the many books on offer will actually get through. So, you know, try, try again, I guess, is my <laughs> is my hope for you um, if you have the energy. But I, I wanted to bring up Citizen by Claudia Rankin, which is a sort of essay collection that has some poetry slash prose poetry sprinkled throughout. But it's please don't let that scare you. It's super accessible and it's so good. And I remember when I first read this book, it came out in, when did it come out? Yeah, 2014. It brought home to me things that I felt like I knew but hadn't really absorbed or understood. And, you know, my door was already open to this kind of thinking. But I do believe that this is the kind of book that can open a door as well, even if that door is, like, not open already. So Claudia Rankin is an African-American woman. And she she has experienced a lot of different kinds of racial aggressions in her life. Some of them are microaggressions. Some of them are, you know, people very deliberately, you know, being racist at her um, or not so deliberately, but like 100 percent being racist. They're not even realizing it. And then she's also looking at the way that black, you know, celebrities and athletes are, are treated by commentators, um, you know, police shootings, all of these things. She's looking at all of these things, but she's doing it from a very personal 
viewpoint. And so she's just like kind of telling you stories about her life. And she's a beautiful writer. And so you just kind of get born along by her sort of almost conversational tone sometimes. And then there are, you know, the the style of the prose varies a little bit throughout, but it is just a really sort of matter of fact, like, here's what it's like. Here's what it's like to be me. And here are the things that I have experienced. And here's why we should be thinking about why have I experienced these things and what kind of toll it takes on the on the people who experience these things. So, again, I you know, it's hard to know if this is the kind of thing that will get through to them. But I think if they uh, are willing to give it a try, it very well could. Again, that's Citizen. Uh, subtitle is An American Lyric by Claudia Rankin. All right. Our next question is from KJ, who says, I was recently hit with the news that my partner of 10 years wants a divorce. I usually go to novels for solace, but my two favorites are Department of Speculation and I Married You for Happiness, and I don't think they will help right now. I found plenty of self-help books, but I'm looking for good stories of people starting over after a divorce or loss and moving forward with life, especially if if those stories involve people who can't afford to drop everything and eat, pray, love around the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Okay, I'm coming at this one a little bit sideways. I picked Godland by Liz Lenz. And this is a novel slash sociological look at the Midwest. Um, But Liz was married to a conservative Christian man, and she herself is a Christian. Um, And they lived in Iowa? Ohio. No, Iowa. They lived in Iowa. She still lives in Iowa. Um, And then after the 2016 election and a few experiences that she had in her church, she realized that her and her husband had become irreconcilably different in their theologies and their political views in ways that were not going to allow them to stay married. So they got a divorce. She left her like red hat wearing husband um, and with her two kids. Um, And so like, what do you do after that? Liz is a report. She's a journalist and a writer. And so she wanted to um, kind of get to the bottom of what was going on in the minds of people like her husband and in the minds of people in the middle of the country who had voted for Donald Trump. So she goes on this like soul searching journalistic quest through the Midwest, looking both for like her own soul and the soul of the place where she lives and calls home, um, both of which she had come to like no longer really understand. Um, so she's not eat, pray, loving. She's a single mom and a, you know, working journalist in the Midwest <laughs> in like a small town working for a paper. Um, and so it's not so much about like, uh, you know, the pain of going through a separation or, or, or anything like that. I mean, it is about her divorce and it is about her moving on with her life. Um, and about but it's more i think about the examination of um like what happens when you don't understand what's happened to the person sitting across the table from you you know and she takes it farther in like what happens to when you don't understand any of the people sitting across from any table from you in your neighborhood town or state you know um but mostly reflected in her like her marriage specifically uh it's not gossipy or um she's not mean you know like i i could read a ver- I could totally see a version of this book existing where she just like drags her husband or her ex-husband but she doesn't um it's very thoughtful and compassionate and I think the parts about the midwest um are distracting enough you know like when you're going through such a painful experience uh reading a book that is about it but also not about it gives you some breathing room and some space to like process what the author has said uh and then also think about something related but like a little bit different um and as far as somebody who's like moved on Liz Lenz is living her best life right now like she 
is everywhere, really. She's a pol- mostly writing about politics, I think. Uh, she's got a great newsletter. It's on Tiny Letter if you want to go subscribe to it. Um, but yeah, she's still doing Single Mom in, in Iowa. Last time I saw her her social media, she was interviewing Biden at like an LGBTQ political summit and like giving him crap, which was satisfying. So anyway, um, so the title again is Godland by Liz Lenz. Yeah, I also came at this question a little bit sideways, but I have reasons, I swear. Um, I picked Realm of Ash by Tasha Suri, which comes with a trigger warning for family violence. This is technically the second book in a series. It's the Books of Amba series, which is great, by the way. Empire of Sand is the first book. Fantastic. And this is also fantastic. But I do think it can stand alone, actually. Although, if you're looking for distraction, like, super highly recommend that you read all of these. So, Realm of Ash is actually about a widow and not a divorcee. Uh, But I think that some of the feelings, like you said, you know, somebody going through a loss and trying to move on with their lives are really similar. And I also think, you know, Tasha Suri has talked about how she wrote this book because she feels like widows are very sidelined and forgotten in popular representations. Like, they just go off in a corner wearing their black veils and never come back out of that corner. And I remember having some feelings like that when I was coming out of my divorce. It's like, I don't see, like, where are they? (laughs) And, you know, obviously we have lots more representation in especially, you know, memoirs and, and pop culture now. But we're still coming along. And I think that this book, in terms of the feelings, will maybe be very cathartic for you. The main character, Arwa, is a widow. She lost her husband in a really terrible way. There is, um, it's a, it's a sort of, uh, pre-industrial fantasy world based on the Mughal Empire, which is super cool. And her husband was a general, I think he commanded a fort and, uh, you know, a magical threat came to the fort and basically killed everyone except for her. And so she is going off to, like, literally there is a house for widows on the edge of the empire. And she is going there by choice because she just feels... I mean, completely shell-shocked by what happened, but then also completely disconnected from everybody in her life who she might have stayed with, and for reasons that are very legit. But because she's the only person who survived this magical attack, like, people have questions, and so she is not allowed to just live quietly like she thinks she wants. She's dragged into this whole magical political mess, and she ends up at the capital city in the court, which is very dangerous in lots of different ways, and finds that she has talents that she didn't realize. And I love how the story of this book is about not letting people dictate your choices. She is just at every turn trying to make her own way. And sometimes it's not what actually she needs to be doing, but she is resisting in in lots of different ways, sometimes really small, almost unconscious ways, and sometimes like big deliberate ways. Other people telling her what happens to her next and what choices she actually has. And it's super... Ooh, I guess cathartic is the right word, also kind of triumphant. And it's but it's not without cost and 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 it's so great. Oh, I just love this book, obviously. So so if that sounds like it would be a good escape slash catharsis for you, that is Realm of Ash, uh, by Tasha Suri. Again, that's the second book in the Books of Amba series. Okay, and now it is time for our next sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Question five is from Tracy, who says, I am a podcast slash audiobook addict, so I am in need of recommendations. After hearing Every Heart of Doorway recommended a million times, I finally listened to it and Good. fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> It's. I mean, it does sometimes take a million times of recommending yeah. something for people to pick it up, right? That's why we do repeats occasionally. Um, anyway, okay, the question says, uh, I fell in love with Sean and McGuire. I've listened to all of the Every Heart a Doorway series, as well as Spar Sparrow Hill Road and love them all. Do you have any recommendations for similar authors? I love that her books feel like a fairy tale while still using familiar language, unlike high fantasy where the language is often unfamiliar. I also appreciated how inclusive the Every Heart a Doorway series is. Amanda. I picked my favorite sad emo wife fantasy series. <laughs> <laughs> it just is. Uh, Winter Song by S.J. Jones. This book is my favorite. It's like, I mean, it's basically a more emo version of Labyrinth in Bohemia in like the 18th century. Um, so it has that fairy tale but familiar kind of thing going on. Um, even though it is a higher fantasy than the Shauna McGuire books, it's not so high. It's like not, it's not another universe, you know, we're another 
yeah, there's not in another universe. Like you're going to recognize the place names. You're going to recognize the food they eat. Like all of the language is pretty easy. Um, so it's about a girl named Lysol who is, I think, 18, 1718 when the book opens. And she lives in Bohemia in the 18th century-ish. Um, and she has a brother and a sister. Her family owns a hotel uh, or like an inn, you know, in this like village. And her her grandmother is still very much doing like old – like doing things the old way, like old traditions, lots of talk of like the Goblin King and lots of superstitions and all of this kind of thing that Lysol's like just kind of not really here for. Her family is very musical. Her and her brother are both really talented um, musicians. She's a composer. He's a violinist. Um, and so thing, events conspire, like TLDR. The, her sister is taken by the Goblin King. By the way, it turns out the Goblin King is real. And so Lysol has like no choice but to go save her right so she travels she figures out how to get to the underworld and figures out how to like trade her life for her sisters so that the goblin king will like take this trade and then she has to live there so it has like a labyrinth thing going on it also has like a hades persephone kind of kind of feel um if this book were about adults it would be like a real dom sub kind of mood you know what i mean like it's very dark there's a lot of power struggles um and a lot of like it's just very uh what's the phantom of the opera like it feels a lot like the phantom Mm. of the opera um but ya and in old-timey austria uh but it's so great and the thing that i think pulls it along in the same way that the shannon mcguire books or like makes it comparable to the shannon mcguire books is that romance which is funny to say because so much of so many characters uh that shannon mcguire writes are asexual and like don't have any interest in romance at all or there's like no romance on the page between characters but they are romantic you know what i mean like it's more of a atmosphere and that's how winter song is it has a very romantic atmosphere like everything is it's a drama like everything is so dramatic <laughs> and the stakes are so high and everyone has such feelings like it just feels like a it's just a heart your heart just rends the whole time 300 pages of heart rending i love it okay so that's winter song by sj jones I will co-sign and also say that, believe it or not, the sequel Shadow Song is even more emo, which is amazing for the record. Like, if you're not, just just put your eyeliner, lots of eyeliner on. Yes. You know, put on some fishnets and big old boots, then read it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, then you'll your eyeliner will be all smeared because you cried. It's That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, well that's, the, that's the goal. Obviously. Obviously. All right. So... <laughs> I picked Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. Uh, this does get a trigger warning for animal death. Sorry. Um, but it's not a huge part of the plot. And, and anyway, it's a great book. It is a contemporary fantasy set in the real world. And it is set in Chicago. And Bailey Chen is our main character. And she, well, okay, there's a couple of things about Bailey. So she has graduated from college and like, has failure to launch, but it's not because she doesn't want to launch. She's just really struggling to find her way and, you know, hasn't found jobs in her area. And her parents are just kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she had a big fight with her best friend, who's, you know, the only one around when she moves back home. So, like, ugh, she's a little isolated. She's also kind of a jerk, not going to lie. Like, she, I, I, but I enjoyed that. I mean, she is kind of a jerk. But she, uh, the book, I don't think the book lets her get away with it. 
And so, you know, she's kind of stuck here. And Zane offers her a job as a bar back at his family bar. And she's like, this is the most humiliating thing ever, but I have no option. So I will take this job. And then it turns out that Zane is part of a league of secret monster fighting bartenders. And also alcohol is magic. Like there's such a thing as magic alcohol and you can make magic cocktails to let you do things like have super strength or go invisible or be really convincing or all kinds of different things. And so she becomes a magical mixologist and has to figure out like why there is this sudden demon influx in Chicago and what she can do about it. Also still trying to get a better job for the record. So it's really fun. There are cocktail recipes in the book, which is entertaining. Um, If anybody ever gets their hands on any of that magic alcohol, like let me know. So that is Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge by Paul Kruger. All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I recently saw the new Star Wars and was unimpressed, to put it mildly, with its idea of queer representation. Could you recommend a fun space opera adventure with actual substantial queer rep as as well as people of color? I'm already rereading Becky Chambers' series, so I need something new. I'd be open to a romance novel, but nothing too steamy. Okay, I picked The Wrong Stars by Tim Pratt, which is like if the Becky Chambers books and The Expanse had a conspiracy theory baby. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. It's like, it's so fun. So the this is like that ragtag, you know, found family crew on a dilapidated spaceship who like run errands for people more powerful than them. Um, and the captain's name is Callie Machado. Um, and she, or the, the ship is called the White Raven. And their crew run freight and salvage out at the edges of the solar system for a trans-Neptunian association is the company that they work for. Or the government that they work for. I, it might be both. It might be a company and a government. Anyway. Um, and so she's actually, like, kind of a, a cop or, like, a security officer um, for the outer edges of our solar system. And when they're out, like, working, doing some random job, they discover a wreck of a ship that's so old that they can't figure out what it is. And through a, a little bit of research, they figure out that it's a Goldilocks ship, which is a, a bunch of ships that Earth, 500 years before the opening of the book, had sent out into the solar system because Earth was falling apart with wars and climate change and famine. And so they packed a bunch of people onto these ships, put them into hypersleep, and were like, okay, good luck. Go find us somewhere else to live. Repopulate the universe with our species. Bye. And the people in the ships never expected to, to live, honestly. Um, so they find this ship. Right next to, like, Jupiter, which is, it should be, like, way long gone. They get on it, um, they find one survivor. And so they wake her up, um, and she is, you know, kind of sad to realize that, like, humanity outpaced the Goldilocks ships. And a lot of, in a lot of situations, the Goldilocks ships are arriving in solar systems where humans have already gotten to and like built planets and stuff out of because we figured out how to do like hyperspace jumps in the meantime so like they wasted 500 years of their lives and so she this the woman opens up immediately develops a crush on the captain the captain immediately develops a crush on the scientist um, and then they get involved in this like really big interspecies alien conspiracy to destroy the universe and it is such a romp and it's like super fun i'm pretty sure there's not a single straight character in the entire book that i encountered (laughs) like no one is straight not a single person um it is great and i listened to it on audio um and it was one of those things where like you end up sitting in your car i listen to audiobooks in my shower because i have a bluetooth speaker so i would just waste water just in there like (laughs) oh this is so fascinating what's gonna happen um and it is the first in the series so they go off and have a bunch of more you know adventures defending the universe from evil so that's the wrong stars by tim pratt I'm so glad you liked it. It was I love so that fun. Book. I love it. I'm glad to hear the audio is good. That's nice. Yeah. 
Uh, so I picked The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders, which is queer as all get out, y'all. <laughs> it is super duper queer. But there's actually no sex. It's really interesting. This book gets a trigger warning for graphic violence and like tentacle stuff. It's weird. It's kind of, it's kind of like if you have like a tentacle phobia, you're not going to like this. But otherwise, it's really great. It is also about uh, humans making it out into the broader universe. And they have settled a tidally locked planet, which means that one side of the planet always faces the sun and one side of the planet always faces away, which means that there's a super hot zone, an unlivably hot zone, and an unlivably cold zone. And humanity is sort of stuck in this like band around the middle of the planet but that's in between the hot and the cold and that's the only place on this planet that they can live and they were like oh yeah there's there's nothing else here we're fine to settle here it's fine this is ours now cool and it's you know generations later and they're doing okay it's not great it's also a really fascinating thought like what happens if there's no like circadian rhythm like when do you when do you go to sleep if it's if it's the same exact amount of light all the time when do you sleep like this is a serious question and i love how charlie jane is like well everybody's going to handle it differently so as you travel uh, around this world you see like the different permutations of how people are dealing with this it's so fascinating anyway one of the main characters um is has you know a really hard time making friends and has sort of fallen in, like, friend love with this char- very charismatic uh, woman who she is, you know, matched up with, like, their bunkmates at college. And uh, and the main character is, like, you know, sort of shy and retiring, but has a lot of intense emotions and has really struggled with her family. And so she really latches on to this friend. And then that friend, you know, pulls her into this, like, you know, sort of student political group. And they're just a lot of big talkers. But they do something... And our main character takes the heat and gets kicked out, like literally gets ejected from the city into the wilderness, not expected to survive, and has an encounter with one of the original creatures who inhabit the planet. And everything kind of spools out from there. And it is so interesting and such like a weird, fascinating, not really like any other sci-fi I've read in a very long time. It's so unique and so fascinating the way that Charlie Jane Anders is like, what if? What if? And I, it's just what if questions that I haven't seen asked before. And like I said, super duper queer. And yeah, I think this is just so good. So again, that's The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. And our last question is from Morgan, who says, My son is 15 months old. I am able to listen to books on audio at work, which has been awesome for getting me back into reading. I'm trying to find a book with a specific set of criteria. I really want to find a book with a character that I can relate to, but in the fantasy genre. I'm 25, so not necessarily YA, but YA is fine. I would love the book to have a protagonist that is a young mom with a young child. I'm having trouble finding books that are fantasy that have this criteria. I'm just going to keep talking. This is a hard one to find. You're not wrong. It's it is. There's not a ton of this. And um, I actually did a post on parenting in sci-fi and fantasy. I'll leave a link in the show notes. But I, the book I picked for you is The Reluctant Queen by Sarah Beth Durst, which is technically the second in the Queens of Renthea series. But I think you could read it first and then go back and read the first one if you wanted. Or you can just read both of them. It's fine. Whatever. Do you. And it takes place in a fantasy world where there are nature spirits that are kind of 
a like chaotic violent so they're not super into humans touching their stuff which is basically everything because nature and so there are women born with the power to you know sort of control these spirits and those women are all put to work by the crown and also one of them becomes the queen and there is recently a new queen selected that's book one uh, but she is dying And she needs to find somebody who is strong enough to take over for her so that the spirits won't run wild when she dies. And the person who her scouts end up finding, Nalen, is a mom. She has two kids. She lives in a very remote village. And she has she doesn't want anything to do with the court or, you know, being anything other than a mom. But, you know, the queen's scouts pass through and they find out that she has this magic. And they're like, all right, you're coming with us. And she's like, not without my kids, basically. (laughs) And they're like, "Mm, how is this going to work? And that's the book is her trying to figure out, like, how can she be a mom and also maybe help save the world? Like, how do you do that thing? I ask myself every day. (laughs) I know, right? Well, it's a real question. So, yeah. So, and her kids are a little older than your kids, but one of them is pretty little. And it is such an interesting look at what it means to be a mother, which is already an epic quest in and of itself, and then have like another epic quest talked, you know, tossed right on top of it. So I feel like you will relate to Nalen. Also, she's an amazing character. Also, this whole series is great. So again, that's The Reluctant Queen, technically book two in The Queens of Renthea by Sarah Beth Durst. Okay, I picked Circe by Madeline Miller, which comes with a trigger warning for sexual assault. And She's not a mother the whole time. So this is basically a memoir of a goddess who um, you might remember from the Odyssey if you read the Odyssey uh, by Homer or whoever wrote it who we're calling home whatever anyway that's a tangent um so Circe <laughs> is an immortal witch she was the go- the daughter of helios who is a titan and some i don't remember her mother's name she was like a nymph um and she lives at her father's court and is really bleh like she does not she's not powerful she doesn't have any power she's not beautiful like her mother so she's pretty much ignored and allowed to well neglected she's neglected um she discovers that she does have the ability to uh like cast spells she's a really talented witch so she starts picking up that practice um something happens at her father's court that gets her in a lot of trouble and so she gets banished to a deserted island um her father leaves her there and is like okay well have a good eternity and then just like leaves and so she's left to her own devices she builds a home occasionally you know fishermen or soldiers or whomever gets shipwrecked on her island and she has to deal with that um and then of course if you've read the odyssey you know odysseus and his crew eventually show up and they stay for a long time um she meets a lot of other really famous people from greek mythology that you will probably recognize throughout her you know life when she meets odysseus she gets pregnant and has a child and that is where i think the interesting parts of the book will be for you because her kid even though this is like this is a goddess right like she's immortal she's gonna live for literally ever um she has all of these powers but she's still like a single mom with no target and no grocery store (laughs) living in the middle of nowhere and so there are scenes in the book where like her kid won't stop crying and she just doesn't know what to do and any mother of a 15 month old like you are is going to understand the feelings that she's having then she makes a lot of choices that i think to someone who isn't a parent um seem 
really extreme and strange, uh, but will, I'm sure, make sense to anyone who has been a caretaker for somebody who needs them really deeply, whether it's your child or your, you know, an elderly parent or whatever. And her kid it doesn't stay young through the whole book since it's her, you know, the story of Circe's life. You watch as her son gets older, uh, realizes who he is, tries to contact his family. Like, it's a whole family saga that has to be multi-generational because Circe lives forever. So, like, people die. Um, but the scenes where she is acting out of maternal instinct or maternal frustration, I think are some of the most compelling. So that's Circe by Madeline Miller. And that's our show. Wahoo! Thank you all for listening and joining us on this rambling journey. <laughs> if you are so inclined, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we love to see the feedback. Hopefully, you're also enjoying our new hand cell episodes, mm-hmm. which are coming out every Monday going forward, where we pitch just a book that we want to yell about. So enjoy. <laughs> um, thank you to today's sponsors. You can find us on social media in between episodes. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.